With that, I'd like you to please turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Let's read our text and then we'll pray. Beginning in verse 1, reading to verse 6. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would, have, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Let's pray. Father, these are precious words to us that your Son has spoken. And we now have, down through, uh, by, the, by the inspiration of your Spirit, we now have them to comfort us in our days of trouble. And I pray that you would use the message this morning to do just that. Equip us to face and to persevere through the days of trouble with faith that brings honor to you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Billy Graham has a daughter by the name of Anne, Anne Graham Lotz, and she uh, some time ago was on a popular news talk program, and the interviewer asked her, he said, are you one of those people who believe that Jesus is exclusively the only way to heaven? And then before she answered, he added, because you know how mad that makes people these days. And without blinking, she replied, Jesus is not exclusive. He died so that Anyone could come to him for salvation. I think that's just a a great response. Christianity is not some kind of an exclusive club that's limited to an elite few who fit the perfect profile. But Jesus invites everyone to come to him. He said in John chapter 7, he said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. The invitation of the gospel is to everyone, regardless of color or class or clout. Any who recognize their inability to please God and cast themselves on the mercy of God will not be turned away, but will be received with gladness and with great joy. That doesn't change, though, the point of this verse, which is that there is only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. The invitation to come to God, it is universal. But the way to God, the way to get to God, is exclusive. Or, as Jesus says here, no one comes to the Father but through me. So, the thrust of this verse is to clearly state that Christ is not a way to God, but the only way to God. It's not spoken, though, in an evangelistic context. Jesus was not crying out in the temple. He was not speaking to the multitudes when he said these words. He was speaking in a private, intimate gathering to those who already knew him and were following him. Not only was he speaking to believers, he was speaking these words to troubled believers. So these are not words that are meant to bristle the feathers of the world. They're not even meant to convince the minds of unbelievers, but they are useful, of course, for both. These are words of comfort to troubled believers. The main point of these six wonderful verses of chapter 14 is that when your heart is troubled, God's comfort is found in trusting in Christ. And as we've already seen from from Scripture, trouble and this life, they go together. Trouble is common to man. For man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. But God has a glorious purpose for the trouble that He allows. He tells us in Psalm 50, verse 15, He says, Call upon Me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you. You will honor me. Is it your desire to honor God in the day of trouble? 
If it is, then the, the days of trouble must come. Right? So that you can call upon Him and you can be rescued by Him. God considers your faith in Him so precious that He is willing to keep bringing you these opportunities to trust and to honor Him by it. Many of those opportunities come in the form of trouble. Troubles, they're, they're not an obstacle for faith, but the very environment in which you can trust and glorify Him, and He can then rescue you and comfort you. So the setting is that of the Last Supper that uh, Jesus shared with His disciples. It's on the eve of His departure from them by means of the cross. They were greatly troubled at the thought of Him going away. They... They could not understand why he would abandon them after they'd left everything to follow him. And his answer to them is, is not to doubt, but to trust him. That's what God would have each of us to do when the day of trouble comes. So this morning's sermon is the final of a three-part series on these six verses in John chapter 14. It's entitled, Trusting God or Trusting Christ When Trouble Comes. These verses teach us that when your heart is troubled, God's comfort is found by trusting in Christ. There are going to be times of trouble in our lives, both little bouts with trouble that end fairly quickly, but also those days when wave after wave of trouble just keep coming. It defines a season of your life. Trouble is as unwelcome as the flu. But let's accept right now that no one is immune to trouble in this life. What honor and glory that you bring to Christ when you, when you long for Him. When you long for His presence more than just relief from your trouble. Right? When, you're, when your circumstances give you good reason to be troubled, remember that as a Christian, you have more reason not to be troubled. What reason do we have not to be troubled? Jesus gives us three in this passage that have to do with what He has directed, disclosed, and declared. See, when your heart is troubled, trusting in what Christ has directed, disclosed, and and declared, it will keep you from despairing. So the first reason that Christ gives us not to be troubled, it has to do with what He has directed us to do in verse 1. We looked at these last week. This is just reminder, refreshing where we're at. He says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And so when trouble comes, we first need to trust in what Christ has directed us to do. See, Jesus is worthy of your trust. And he's calling you to trust in him as you would trust in God the Father to care for you, to provide for you, to protect you, to rescue you according to his wisdom and his purposes. Faith in God and comfort from God, they go hand in hand. If you're not going to trust in God, don't expect to experience comfort from God. And this means that we should not not expect comfort in the midst of troubles if we're not going to trust Christ through them. Christian, your, your faith in Christ, it is well placed. You have trusted Him with your soul for all eternity. Can you trust Him when the day of trouble comes? There's no one else you can trust in who will never forsake you and will never leave you. So trust in what Christ has directed. The second reason Jesus gives us not to be troubled is in verses 2 through 4. And because of it's because of what he has disclosed. And so when trouble comes, we first need to trust in what Christ has directed us to do, to believe in God and in Christ. Second, we need to trust in what Christ has disclosed. First, Jesus discloses that He's going to prepare a secure place for them in His Father's house. When the time comes for us to depart this world in death, Jesus has already prepared our new home for us in His Father's house. And then secondly, He gives us a solemn pledge to return again for us. We may not know when the day or the hour of His return is, but we do know that He will come again. Everything is being prepared for you for a glorious forever with Christ. And even in that valley, when death's shadow, it stretches out over you, 
Christ is going to be there with you, comforting you and guiding you. And now we turn to verses 5 and 6, where Jesus gives us one final reason not to be troubled about his impending departure. Jesus tells his disciples where he's going. He says, he's going home. His final words of comfort regarding his present home and their future home is at the end of verse 4. He begins there. He says, and you know the way where I am going. The comfort of the Lord, which he sought to give them here, was that they knew the way to his wonderful home where he's going. And they were looking right at it. He himself is the way. John Phillips um, in, tells a great story in his commentary about a pioneer missionary in Africa who, who told how he was taking the gospel to a new tribe far to the north. And he arrived at a village with all those who were helping bear his equipment. And to the north of the village, this area was uncharted. It was little known. And the men who were with him, they, they refused to go any further. The missionary appealed to the chief of the village, asking if, if there was someone that he knew who could act as his guide to this distant tribe that he wanted to reach. And the chief sent for a man who, when he arrived, he was tall, he was battle-scarred, and he was carrying a large axe. So a bargain was made, and then the next morning, the missionary set off through the bush, and he was following his new guide. The way became increasingly rough and then soon the path that they were following had grown narrow to the point where all but disappeared. The missionary, he occasionally saw a mark that was displayed on a tree or what seemed to be portions of a narrow path. And then finally the missionary just called for everyone to just stop and he asked the guide, he went up to the guide, he said, are you sure you know the way? And the man turned to him and he he pulled himself up to his full height and said, White man, you see this axe in my hand? You see these scars on my body? With this axe, I blazed the trail to the tribal village that we are going to. I came from there. These scars I received when I made the way. You ask me if I know the way. Before I came, there was no way. I am the way. See, the Lord, He came from glory. Now He was on His way back to glory. And He was going by way of the cross. And before He came, there was no way. The scars of Calvary are on His body. They speak of the price that He paid to make this way for us back to God. He points to His scars. And He says to each of us, He says, I am the way. Now, I'm sure the disciples, they couldn't fully understand this and what he was saying to them at this time, but it would become an amazingly comforting and beautiful truth to them later on. The fact was still true, though. They knew where he was going because he had told them. They knew the way because they knew him and he was the way. See, that's the full picture now of what Jesus was seeking to paint with this statement that he made here that we all are quite familiar with. So let's look at it now in a little bit more detail so that we can gain the comfort from this amazing declaration that our Savior wants us to have. And so in response to Jesus telling them that they know the way, we have Thomas now who says to him, Lord in verse 5, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? So Thomas is confused by what Jesus has just said. I'm sure all the others were just as confused as Thomas was. Um, he wants Jesus to clarify his statement here. So Thomas was not a man uh, to pretend he understood something when he didn't. Right? Or to pretend that he had a faith that he didn't have. Have you ever uh, been afraid to ask that question that you thought ever was an, was an obvious question that, about something that you thought everybody else understood but you? Right? That classroom setting. And so you're like, oh man, 
I don't want to ask this. And then somebody else raises their hand and asks the very question that you were too scared to ask. At that moment, we're, we're really thankful for people like that, right? And Thomas is that type of guy. And we can be thankful. All of us here can be thankful for his question. How could they possibly know the way? Especially when just a few verses back, which would be just, you know, maybe a couple minutes prior in the room there. And, and you can look in chapter 13, verse 33. Jesus said, where I am going, you cannot come. So we can be thankful because it's Thomas's question that provides Jesus the opportunity now to make one of the greatest I am statements, which now becomes for us the church throughout all the ages, a concise but definitive summary of God's way to heaven. So look with me at verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So Christ here, he takes the focus off of what is troubling the disciples and instead he gives them more reason why he can be believed and depended upon. And what's more comforting in the midst of trouble than knowing you have someone that you can believe in and depend upon. You're not alone. So in this verse, Christ discloses three truths about himself that are meant to comfort our hearts in the midst of trouble. He is the only way to God. He is the certain truth about God. And He gives eternal life from God. So the first truth that Jesus discloses about Himself is that He is the only way to God. He says, I I am the way. Um, Right now is the season of fall season where you can go to the different pumpkin patches in the area and you can walk through one of those corn mazes. Right? Some are quite large. Apparently the one in Dixon is, what, largest in the world or something like that? So you can get lost in those things pretty easily. There was one account I read about a famous palace that was built by Cardinal Wolsey. He was in power during the reign of Henry VIII in the 16th century. He built a very grand hedge maze. And the man who was writing this story about this maze, he remembered going there when he was a young boy. And this hedge, of course, was very high. Uh, The lanes were narrow. Uh, There were constant intersections by other lanes that they wandered off in all different directions. And in the middle of the maze, there was this open space where you could sit on a bench and you could rest after you'd become thoroughly lost within the maze. So this boy and his family, they would make various efforts to find their way out, but they always seemed to end up back in the middle of the maze. And he remembered that he began to wonder if he was ever going to find a way out. And at last, towards the end of the day, a park attendant came, asked them if they were lost, and they said yes. And, and so he said, well, follow me. And after many turns this way and that way, the boy and his parents just suddenly walked outside of the maze. Now, what made the difference? Sitting in that middle part of the maze, they knew there was a way out. It was there somewhere, but they couldn't find it. They made it out only after they gave up their own efforts. They admitted that they were lost and then they trusted and followed the one who knew the way. Now, this is actually the main answer to the question that Thomas asked. He asks how they would know the way. And Jesus answers very pointedly. He says, I am the way. How is it that he is the way to God? It's because he alone is the certain truth about God and he alone gives eternal life from God. Now, I don't want you to miss this because in the midst of giving his disciples reason not to be troubled, Jesus answers what has to be one of the greatest questions of the human heart. How can I be saved? I think we have to pause here and say, well, saved from what? We can't assume that everybody knows that they need to be saved or what they need to be saved from. Every person in this room has disobeyed God, the God who created them, who rightfully owns them. He has told us how we are to live in His world. 
And every one of us without exception have dis- has dis- disregarded Him. Lived life our own way. Lived life on our own terms. We have not loved. We have not obeyed. We have not honored the God who gave us life and breath. Many wonderful things in this world to have and to enjoy. Right? You can tell yourself, you know, I'm not that bad. I haven't done anything that horrible. But see, God is, is crystal clear that all have sinned. And the wages of this sin is death, which is to be separated from God forever in hell. That is what you, that is what me, that is what everyone in the world needs to be saved from. And Jesus' answer to how you can be saved, it's very simple. He says, I am the way. According to what Jesus says here, like that boy and his parents who were lost in the maze, you have to admit that you are lost. You have to give up your own efforts to save yourself. And you need to receive into your life the one who said, I am the way. See, when you know Him, you know the way to be saved from the penalty of your sin against God. He is the way. There is no other way. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but through Me. There's many ways to come to Christ. We can all speak about that. But there is only one way to get to heaven. And that's by Him. So if you want to be saved, if you want to be saved today, if you want to be saved even right now, Christ is the way. Renounce all other ways, including the way of your own self-righteousness. I'm not that bad. I really don't need saving. I can save myself. You need to renounce that truth. And then believe in your heart that Jesus is indeed the only way to God. The one whom God has provided to make a way to Him. Do this and you will be saved. It's important that we understand the reason that Jesus can declare that He's the only way to God. It's because, secondly, He's the certain truth about God. He is the certain truth about God. This is the second truth that Christ discloses here about Himself. You know, by the time of Christ, Buddha, the Greek philosophers, the Indian mystics, they had all come and they had all gone. The world had had 5,000 years to discover the limitations and the bankruptcy of religion and philosophy. And then Jesus came. He spoke with authority. There's There's almost absolute consensus among those who are religious and even those who are just scholarly looking at the life of Jesus, there's almost absolute consensus that the Sermon on the Mount is one of the greatest public discourses ever given. The parables, the teachings of Jesus, the Olivet Discourse, the truths now being set before the disciples, it all show that Jesus was in a class by Himself. He did not merely teach the truth. He was the truth. And Jesus here is dogmatic. He says, I am the truth. That means that every religious belief, every philosophical concept, every scientific theory, every political, economic, social, or psychological proposition that does not ultimately find its center, sum, and substance in Him is bound in the end... To be proven false. Jesus is the certain truth about God because he embodies the full revelation of God available to man. Jesus explains God by saying and doing exclusively what the Father gives him to say and do. And therefore, he is properly called God. He is God's gracious self-disclosure. The Word of the Father made flesh. Jesus is the truth of God. Now, in the eyes of the world, there can be no more boldly dogmatic or exclusive a statement than what Jesus adds to this great claim to be the truth. No one comes to the Father but through me. You see, no matter how rich, how successful, how religious, how moral or upright, no matter how popular or powerful you are, you come to God through Jesus. 
or you don't come at all. The world calls this arrogant, calls it intolerant, calls it exclusive. Jesus simply calls it truth. Ours is a day when the notion of truth has itself, the notion of truth itself has become controversial. I just have to shake my head to realize that is the world we live in. The notion of absolute truth is controversial. A day in which most people consider there to be no such thing as absolute truth. The truth is always relative. I can have my truth and you can have your truth. What is truth? Truth is defined by that which conforms with fact or reality. It is genuine. It is objective. It is real. In declaring himself the truth, Jesus is saying that he is the self-disclosure, the very revelation of God himself in human flesh. Theological truth is very narrowly defined. Jesus said he was the way. He's not one of the ways to the Father. And so when, when the Bible speaks of truth, it describes that which corresponds to reality. It describes what is factual and absolute, not relative. And that makes the inerrancy of Scripture all the more important. For inerrancy not only affirms absolute truth, it also affirms the authority of God's Word. See, contrary to what you might hear today from your teachers at school or your professors at, at college, uh, from your co-workers at, their, at workplaces or from whoever you're following on social media, Truth is always exclusive. Truth is always dogmatic. It's always intolerant of non-truth. To be otherwise, it would not be truth. It would not be eternal. It would not be absolute. It makes no difference whether truth is, is a mathematical truth or a scientific truth or, in this case, a spiritual truth. Truth is always, in some sense, narrow. It is error that's broad. It's error that's accommodating. I take, for example, the mathematical truth, two times two equals four. This is a narrow, dogmatic, and an intolerant statement. Here's what error says. Two times two is three. Or seven. Or purple. Truth cannot accept that kind of tolerance. And since Jesus is the truth of God, He excludes all error, no matter how popular no matter how widespread, no matter how ancient or convincing that error may be. No one comes to the Father but through me, he says. And that rules out all of the world's false religions. It demands that all persons everywhere repent of their wrong ideas and their willful rebellion and they come to him. How can you be certain that Christ is the only way to God? It's because he's the certain truth about God. And he declares that he is not a way to God. He is the way to God. Now we can also know that Jesus is the only way to God because he is also the life of God. The third truth that Christ discloses about himself is that he gives eternal life from God. He gives eternal life from God. Jesus said, I am the life. Now the word that Jesus uses here is the Greek word zoe. Uh, the New Testament was written in Greek. And so his, this word that Jesus chose, it refers to life in all of its forms, from the life of God on down to the life of the simplest microorganism. In other words, Jesus is the opposite of death. He said this in so many words throughout, the, throughout different um, places in the gospel, or the writings actually, the Apostle John. In two places in the gospel, he says, just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And then in the epistle of 1 John, he says this about Jesus. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us, uh, given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So the life that Jesus possesses and has the authority to give is defined in the Bible as eternal life. 
I told you earlier that we all need to be saved from the penalty of our sins, which is condemnation. The Bible speaks of this as an eternal death. In Jesus, though, is eternal life. And He gives it freely to all who believe in Him such that even when you die, as you all will one day, as will I, you will live. Only because Jesus is the truth and the life can Jesus be the way for others to come to God. The way for His disciples to arrive at this dwelling place that Jesus has prepared for them in the Father's house. And therefore, he is the ans- this is the answer to Thomas's question. Jesus, in this context, though, He did far more than just blaze a trail. And He certainly is, is doing more than simply telling others to take the way that He Himself takes. Rather, Jesus is the way. And as the way, He's not passive. He is called the Savior because He actively seeks to save people. He's called the Lamb of God because He takes away the sins of the world. He's the one whose voice will cause all men to rise from their graves. Have you ever played the game of Monopoly? It's usually on a rainy day because it takes a long time. The winner of the game is the person who gains all the properties. He owns it all. Owning all the properties is called Monopoly. God has a monopoly. He has a monopoly on both truth and life. He owns every aspect of both of them. If we want to know the truth about God here on earth, we have to go to Christ. If we want to be spared from eternal death and enjoy eternal life with God, we have to go to Christ. You cannot find truth about God or life from God apart from Jesus. It doesn't exist. There are certainly other claims, but they are false. Jesus is the only one who can say, no one comes to the Father but through me. Times of trouble, they often bring to the surface fears that might be lingering within us. And Jesus assures his disciples that they do know the way because they know him. He is the way. That which they have heard from him about God and about heaven. It's all true. Why? Because He is the truth. He's able to assure them that there's more to life than just physical existence because He is life itself. In fact, the only life that can truly be called life is that which He gives. And these men, they are sinners just as we are And sinners always need reassurance that the way has been made, the truth has been spoken, and life has been provided. In other words, Christian, we have great reason not to be troubled in this life because there is no more truth that you need to know about the way to have eternal life from the Father. The greatest day of trouble may involve you dying. But if you know Jesus, that day will be the day when all of your trouble ends. Not because life is over, right? Some people think, I'm in pain, I'm suffering, I just want to die so that the pain stops. That's not a good way to look at death if you don't have Jesus. But see, if you know Jesus on that day, the day of your death, that will be the day when all of your trouble ends. Why? Not because life is over, but because this life is over. Life with Christ is life without trouble which is exactly the type of life that God created us to experience after this one is over. Christian, you can take comfort in knowing that your salvation is clearly proclaimed here. One thing that we often lack in the midst of trouble is perspective. We easily lose perspective about our circumstances, about our troubles, about our blessings, and about our life. We easily forget in the midst of trouble about our other blessings. We forget about God's perfectly faithful track record to us. We forget about the mercies that God has given to us day after day after day. To suffer means to be in pain. I don't know anyone who doesn't want to be free of pain. The moment it starts, I want it to stop. But suffering is an inevitable part of life in this fallen world. And when the world finds out that you're a follower of Jesus, it's going to hate you like it hated Jesus before you. It's going to seek to add to your suffering. As the great theologian, the Dread Pirate Roberts, said in 
the Princess Bride when he told Princess Buttercup, Life is pain. And the sooner we accept that, trouble and this life go hand in hand, the better perspective that we will have about our own trials. So by declaring Himself the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus has given us great reason not to let our troubles overwhelm us. We truly can take comfort in what Christ has declared here about Himself because it helps us to find that which we need to be reminded of most in the midst of our troubles. That Christ truly is God's only Savior and that through the cross He has made the way to God possible for us. There is no other truth about God to believe in. There is no other life from God available except which that which is found in Jesus. No matter what troubles we may encounter in this fallen world, our life is about Christ. It is hidden in Christ. And one day we're going to leave the troubles of this sinful world behind. And when we do, we gain more of Christ. One day, that day will be a glorious day. And no matter what trouble God may allow into your life today, we have the hope of knowing that this life is not All there is. How easy it is to forget what James tells us about ourselves. Namely, that we are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. When we are young, the pride of life makes us feel invincible, important, significant. And yet the Bible has soberly reminded every passing and successive generation that has ever lived on this earth that man is like a mere breath. His days are, are like a passing shadow. And in, you know, in an effort to offer some form of a, of a sobering reminder to the next generation, these words have been etched onto many an ancient gravestone. Remember, friend, as you walk by, as you are now... So once was I. As I am now, you will surely be. Prepare thyself to follow me. Apparently there was a somewhat humorous retort to this common epitaph of of long ago. And it went something like this. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. But at the same time, the Apostle Paul, he gives us a perspective about our troubles and our trials Considering eternity, our lives are like the morning mist that, that vanishes away with the rising of the sun. Every, have any of you ever drone to the, driven to the city when you see that mist just pouring down through San Bruno? By the end of the day, many times it's gone. That's your life. Scripture is trying to tell you. Get perspective. And in light of eternity... We need to get perspective about our troubles. Scripture calls them momentary, light affliction. And when we see these troubles for what they are, tools of God that He uses to sanctify us, an opportunity to bring honor to God, then Paul says that these afflictions, right, they're not just an end in themselves. They are the means even to greater reward in heaven. They are producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. The Apostle Paul wants us to keep on the forefront of our mind that because we know Christ and His life is in us and we are a beloved child of God, our sufferings and our trials, they have been transformed into something of far greater good than we have the ability even to comprehend in this life. We we shouldn't be surprised by this. Christ did the same thing with death. He didn't remove death, right? He doesn't remove troubles. He didn't remove death. We all still die. He removed that which made death deadly for us. Our sin and the condemnation our sin deserves. Now, death is a door. It's a door we walk through to forever be with Christ. And you're thinking, yeah, but I still die. Yeah, we all must die. Why? As we're going to get to when we return to Corinthians soon. 
we all must die. We need to get rid of these fleshly, sin-ridden, aging, worn-out, broken-down bodies that are not fit for eternity. We need to trade them in for the newer model, the one that never decays, never degrades, never fails, and has no nature of sin within it. Amen. See, as Christians, we are all on a path towards future blessing and glory. But suffering is also on this path. And as troublesome as these sufferings are to us, as we experience them, as we experience them, they are of no weight when compared against the weight of the glory that awaits God's people. The Apostle Paul says the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You hear the certainty that this glory, it will be revealed to us. The day of the revealing of this glory, it's coming. And every day you suffer and you choose to keep your home hope firmly placed in Christ, you are storing up a glorious reward for yourself, right? Because it brings honor to God that you trust Him through trials and through troubles. And this reward, it's there. It's there right now, Christian. God is keeping it there for you right now and is looking forward to that day and it's soon coming, right? You're just a vapor that's passing away with the morning sun. He's looking forward to that day when He can reveal this reward to each one of us. Our troubles, they are real. And they need to be faced in the strength which God supplies. But there is an even greater, a more real truth than the troubles that we are facing or will face. This world is not all there is. This life, which is all we know at this point, is actually just a tiny segment of the eternity that we have ahead of us. The trials of this life, they will one day be over and we will be rejoicing that God made us faithful in the day of trouble. This is not just positive speech. It is is a vitally true perspective on life and suffering that every follower of Christ needs to gain and maintain. Do you have this perspective, Christian? Are you fighting to keep this perspective in the midst of your trouble? Or are you still deluded and thinking that your best life is somehow going to be found here in this world? Don't get me wrong. There is much to enjoy in this world. But it has nothing to offer you of any true and lasting value. When sin entered into the world, God subjected every good thing He created to futility. In fact, Paul says that all creation is eagerly awaiting the end of time when all Christians are revealed as God's sons and daughters. Why? He says, because on that day, all of creation will finally be set free from its slavery to corruption. And until then, it's as if creation itself is groaning and suffering like a woman in perpetual labor. If creation longs to be set free from its corruption... How much more should we look forward with great expectation of the life to come? Yes. Make each moment count. Live your life with purpose. Live it with gusto. Enjoy the many wonderful things about this life, even in this fallen world. But do so with the perspective that trouble and this life, they go hand in hand. And the best is still yet to come. Do you have this confidence? Do you know such hope? Jesus said in Luke 21, He said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but My words will not pass away. That means that your suffering is guaranteed to end, but the promises of Jesus never will. I so desire to make this hope real and attainable for each of us. We we are going to need this. You may need this right now. I'm going to share an example that I've shared with you before um, because it's worth sharing again. It just drives this point home. Uh, Most of you who have had children have probably gone through Lamaze. 
and you've learned how you got to do all the breathing and all that kind of stuff and the focusing. You have an object that you focus upon, the, the woman in the midst of the contractions that are extremely painful, focuses on an object, does a breathing exercise. And amazingly, uh, it's quite helpful uh, in getting you through these, these intense labor pains and contractions. We did this with our, uh, several of our children, especially our first one that we had. And we had practiced all this in our home. I had a little glass statue that we used that I put up high above so that Rosita could look up and see this um, as she was as the contractions came. I was standing right next to the bed and, and you know, there was a lot for me to do, amazingly. I would watch when the contractions were coming. I'd, okay, get ready, take a cleansing breath, you know, and then, then would begin the, you know, that comes with Lamaze. And so I'm, I'm, I'm looking at her in the midst of a very intense contraction. I'm staring at her and I'm, I'm breathing with her. I'm trying not to hyperventilate. I'm breathing with her. And then as I was often supposed to do is you watch the monitor. It tells you when the contraction's on the way back down and you kind of give that, okay, it's almost over moment. And that just helps. All these things just amazingly work. And in the midst of one intense contraction, I'm looking at her. I'm breathing with her. And I look away to check the monitor. And she says, don't look away, don't look away, don't look away. I'm like, what, 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 what? And we get through it at the end of it, cleansing breath. I go, what happened? She goes, I was focusing on the shadow in your eye. So when I looked away, she lost her focal point. And all the pain just came flooding in. Because it was a distraction. See, when life gets painful, we can't allow ourselves to focus on the pain. It will swallow you up. Instead, we need to discipline ourselves to focus on God's promises to us. If you're not going to do that, then don't complain. This is what God offers you. You focus on my promises. You focus on me, my truth. He's the only one who can say my truth. None of us can say my truth. He can say my truth. We need to train our minds to focus on the giver of these promises to us. That's how we walk by faith in this life. That's how we honor our God in our trials. It's by trusting Him despite our circumstances. By not growing bitter. By not thinking we know better. By not letting ourselves despair. By acknowledging the wisdom and the goodness of God even though life is not how we want it to be. It's okay you want the suffering to end. I would be right there with you. If you're okay with the suffering, you're probably not suffering. This critical perspective and this strength that only flows out of what Jesus has proclaimed to us here, that He is the way to God. And the testimony of this, uh, and the testimony is this, the Apostle John says, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Do you have God's Son? Have you put your full hope of salvation in Him? If you have, then eternal life is yours. It's that simple. The way to heaven is yours. There's no other way because there's no other truth about God and there's no other life from God that's possible than what Jesus offers. Rejoice if you have Him and run to Him if you don't. There are many reasons for our heart to be troubled in this world. Jesus told His disciples in the world, you will have tribulation. But Jesus has shown us that we have we have a more important reason not to let our hearts be troubled, to continue on being troubled. This life of trouble is not all there is to life. There is a life that is more real and of greater substance than what we know here. Eternal life. It begins when you are born again by His Spirit. And then you put your trust in Christ. 
Only then are you able to begin to know what life in Christ is truly about. Jesus described life that He came to bring to us. He calls it abundant life or life in its fullest sense. Our sinful hearts make it a constant battle to experience abundant life on a daily basis, even though it's ours in Christ. But what you can know for certain and what will be a comfort to every follower of Christ who is experiencing trouble is that your Savior has prepared a place in His Father's house and the only way possible for you or I or anyone else to get there, it's through Jesus and you know Him. There is no other truth that you are missing out on. There is no other life available or possible outside of Christ and you know Him. Keep your eyes of faith set on Him and on that truth. Don't let the troubles of this fallen world rob you of that solid hope that He has given to you to comfort you. There is always hope because you have Christ. His grace It will be sufficient to carry you through whatever troubles that He has lovingly and wisely allowed into your life. Do you have this hope? It's not available anywhere else but in Christ. The way to God, it is exclusive. But His invitation for you to come is a real one. And I urge you to accept that invitation right now. To put your trust in Jesus Christ. To forgive you of your sins. To save you. And to begin knowing the comfort that only Christ can give. Let's pray. Lord, this is your gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. And I pray that we would see this power displayed even in this room. There is no invitation. There is no manipulation. There is no cajoling people to come to You and truly be saved. There is only the work of Your Spirit to convict concerning sin and righteousness and to receive by grace this offer of salvation, of forgiveness, of eternal life. And we pray that You would move in that way. And for those who are experiencing trouble in any of its forms, God, uphold them and strengthen them according to Your Word. Let their eyes of faith be strengthened in their ability to focus upon You in the midst of their pain. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.